history and stuff. And when I was at LSU, um, my major was industrial education. My original intent 45 years ago was to teach welding or woodworking or auto mechanics um, in high school or to trade school. And my minor was history, so I'd be able to, to teach some other subject. And um, history's always um, been fascinating and always been valuable, um, to, in, in my opinion. And, you know, sometimes we don't like history. Sometimes we don't like history because sometimes history um, reminds us of, of, of our history and particularly um, the, the times where we made poor choices and um, sometimes history reminds us of um, evil people and war and terrorism and times of heartache and pain and suffering. But unlike some, I do recognize that history is history, that um, history is history and it reveals the truth and I don't believe that you can rewrite history. Um, or if you do read, uh, rewrite history, it's um, extremely dangerous. And I don't think we ought to um, remove symbols from um, our, our past. I think that's pretty short-sighted, even though it seems to be politically correct thing to do um, nowadays. But, but if you study history, if you study the history of the church, if you study um, the history that's recorded in the Bible, if you study the history of God's people, if you study the history of mankind, one thing that just always has become part of that that historical fact and, and it doesn't matter where you read it so I mean you know some people say well preacher that's because um, you want to talk about it from a spiritual standpoint you it doesn't matter if you go back and read the, the history of the, the the nation of America if you go back and read um, history of England if you go back and read history from any perspective one thing that is undeniable um, in the facts of history that positive change that recovery that um, some of the most um, amazing things that ever hit, happened in the history of mankind always began with the persistent, honest prayers of sincere people. It always happened because people got on their knees about whatever the issue was and, um, and, and prayed and asked God to intervene and God intervened. And so, you know, revival never comes because man plans it. Um, wisdom doesn't come because people um, become educated. Um, it, that's not the way it works. It happens when the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts and in our lives and turns that education into wisdom, turns um, our spiritual to, to, to revival. It happens when the Holy Spirit um, fills us and empowers us, and that happens when people pray. And so um, Acts, the fourth chapter, Acts, the fourth chapter, um, Peter and John ha have... have um, been preaching and have been called before the Sanhedrin and after um, that that takes place they come back to the people in the 24th 23rd verse actually picks up there and it says on their release Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had told them and so you know they, they they've been kind of on trial and they, they come back and they tell people everything that um these people have told them the things that they're not supposed to do and what they want them to be, how they want them to behave and all those things and they come back and it says when they the people when they heard this they raised their voices together in prayer to God sovereign Lord they said you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant our father David why do nations rage and peoples plot in vain the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed one. 
Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate meet together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did um, what? They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Heavenly Father, today that is our desire, is that, Father, as your people, that, Father, you would empower us to speak the word boldly. Father, as we look at um, this scripture today, and Father, would you just use it to challenge us? Father, would you use it to continue on our journey of raising the bar in our own lives and the life of our church? Father, would you show us how to apply it on a personal basis? Father, would you show us and remind us of the difference it makes when your people um, gather together in prayer? And Father, would it just give us the desire to do so? And Father, as we do so, Father, would you reveal yourself? Would you shake this place? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, history. I think history records truth. Um, and sadly, sometimes we don't like the, the truth that history records, but history reveals this much for sure of all churches. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about Baptist churches or Methodist churches or Episcopal churches or Catholic churches. or It really doesn't matter who... Um, denomination label you put on it. History tells us this about churches. The smallest meeting numerically is prayer meetings, followed real close by business meetings. And that's a trend across um, any um, group that, that you um, go back and check records on. And I'm just convinced of this, folks, that if um, we are weak in prayer, then we're weak everywhere. And um, when a church is concerned about the business of the church, the thing that becomes obvious is that there's people praying for the church and praying for the work of the church. And so we need to raise the bar in our prayer life. And when we raise the bar in our prayer life, I think um, the, the result of that, it um, raises our level of awareness and raises our level of concern for the work of God's church, um, for His work, not our work. And so today um, is just an appropriate time, considering that we're going to have a business meeting in about um, 30 or 40 minutes, and, and, and to talk about that, and considering that we've now spent um, um, six months talking about what it means to raise the bar in our personal lives, is to go back and address the issue of um, prayer, and to look at it and see how it affects um, our church and, and our lives individually. And so the first thing um, when you read this passage that it just tells us is that when the church prays, the presence of God is realized. The presence of God is realized because it says in this passage, it says the place, the place where they were gathered, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. I mean, literally. It says it was shaken physically. I mean, everybody knew what had transpired. It happened in a way that everybody knew. And the intent of the verse is to express the fact that those that were gathered realized that God was present and active in their situation. That happens numerous times in the Bible when God's people pray. There, there's a number of passages that, that, that when God's people collectively gathered, not only was God with them, 
but God visibly in some fashion, in some form, whether it was um, in the smoke of a cloud, whether it was in a fire in a bush, whether it was uh, God literally showed up in a way that the people knew that God was present and that God was actually there working. And in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, um, we, we, we find Paul and Silas and Paul and Silas again are in prison and and when they're in prison on that occasion, they're having a midnight um, prayer meeting and um, praise service. In the middle of that, um, it says that as they were having the service, it says, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken. Again, it's that visual, physical reminder that God was present, that God was active. And the reminder to the people was, look, God has got this. God is in charge no matter what the situation is, no matter what the Sanhedrin are, are telling um, John and Paul on this, no matter what John um, is going, no matter what's going on in life, no matter what's going on in your life or my life, that God is there and that God is in charge and God is in control of the situation. Now, I know when we talk about that, we talk about prayer and collective group, some of you that's read your Bible enough and are thinking that, well, but preacher, you've told us where two or three are gathered, God is. So why do we all need to gather? I mean, if two or three, you are absolutely 100% correct. The Bible tells us, and we know it, that where two or three are gathered in, God, in, in the name of Christ, God is there. That is absolutely there. But just because God is there doesn't mean we know God's there. It doesn't mean that we perceive that God is there because sometimes He's present, but we just don't realize His presence is with us. And again, you go to the Bible, and that shows up repeatedly. You go, I mean, to the very beginning of the Bible, you go to um, Genesis, I believe it's the 28th chapter, and um, Jacob um, records an encounter with God. And in that encounter, Jacob is out in, in the wilderness, and um, Jacob um, is sleeping, and Jacob has an encounter with God, and God reveals Himself in a dream and reveals some of the future to him. And at the end of all of that scenario, it says that Jacob wakes up. And when Jacob wakes up, he says this. He says, And Jacob awakened out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. Just because God is present doesn't mean that we always recognize that God is present. And I'm here to tell you, folks, I believe with all my heart, failing to see that God is present, failing to realize that God is present, quite often means that we fail to do anything because we forget that God is there with us. And so we think we're there all by ourselves. And since we're all by ourselves, we can't do anything. But, you know, I believe when the church as a whole gets on its knees in real prayer, the presence of God is perceived. I believe that has happened repeatedly in the last 20 plus years here at Live Oak Baptist Church. I mean, we've, we've gone through building projects, we've gone through revivals, we've gone through seasons in the life of this church that when the church collectively prayed, God moved in a very physical and real way and everybody in the church knew that God was the one doing what was going on. That we weren't doing it, that God was doing it, that God was physically, literally happening, that God was with us, that God was moving, that God was working, that God was answering. You know, the scripture tells us that, and then the passage I read it says, When they lifted up their voice to God in one accord. Not only were these people gathered for prayer meeting, they were gathered with prayer meeting for a purpose. You know, a lot of times I think we gather in um, prayer meetings, and when we gather in prayer meetings, we come with, even then we come with our own agenda, 
and you know the preacher says bow your heads and let's pray and and this person's praying about this and that person's praying about that and sometimes we come to business meetings and we have our agenda and we have that agenda and and we come and we're praying that God would answer and move but we're praying about our little agenda and that's not what happens here I mean this wasn't a case where people get and there was somebody over in the back corner and they were praying for what they wanted for their agenda and there was somebody over in this corner and they were praying for their uh, agenda so that is what it says it says they were all there in unity it says they were all there in one heart they were all there in one spirit and when the church collectively prays in one accord God responds when all of our um, different little concerns and all of our um, our little differences are set aside and our hearts flow in one direction that's when the presence of God is seen and the people are conscious that God has responded that's obvious it says that when the people are in unity when the people are in one accord God moves in many ways the passage tells us that when the church prays the power of God is received you know and you say what is the power of God um, sometimes I'm I can answer that sometimes I can't hundred percent fully um, explain the power of God because God works at times in mysterious ways but the power of God is always seen when people are filled with the Holy Spirit in this passage, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, there's a key word in that passage. This passage doesn't say that um, the, the apostles were filled with the Spirit. It doesn't say that if we as a group gather that um, the pastor and the staff will be filled with the Spirit. It doesn't say that the deacons will be filled with the Spirit. It doesn't say that the Sunday school teachers will figure it out. No, it doesn't say that. It says they were all filled. They're every member, you know, every member of the church, the Spirit came and was appointed. And the day of Pentecost, we read about that. The day of the Pentecost, we read that the Spirit fell and the people were filled. But I'm just here to tell you, folks, we can't live with the Spirit that was on there 2,500 years ago at Pentecost. You know, we need a fresh filling of the Holy. We, we need to, to realize who it is today. You know, because something remarkable takes place as a result of their praying. They were filled with the Spirit. But again, when I went back and studied the passage and you look at specifically what the passage says, the amazing thing, they never once mentioned the Spirit. They never once, you know, I've been, I've been guilty of it at times. I said, Lord, with the Holy Spirit, we sing some songs on Sunday morning sometimes. Lord, just, you know, would, would the Spirit fill this place? Would your Spirit, would it fall like rain? We, we, we ask for the Spirit to come and fill us and be part of who we are and, and change our hearts and our lives. In this case, it says it happened, but it says they never specifically prayed. It's not mentioned. They were filled, but, and it says they were filled with the Spirit and, the, and great power came upon them. So what kind of praying results in um, the power of the Spirit becoming part of our lives on a routine basis and part of our lives? Well, the 24th verse kind of gives us a clue. And it says... When they heard this, when they heard the report that came back from the apostles and they heard what the Sanhedrin wanted to do and they heard what the warnings that they had been given, when they heard all the negative news, when they heard what was going on, it says, and when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
they started their prayer not with the threats of the enemy. They started the prayer not with what they needed um, God to do. They didn't start the prayer complaining about the situation or act, asking God to do anything. They simply started the prayer with the realization of the absolute sovereignty of God. Well, folks, I'm convinced that's where the power of God originates, is in the sovereignty of God. And that's where victory starts, in the sovereignty of God. You know, he says, the King James says, Thou art God. And I think what it says is literally is, Thou art God and we're not. We recognize that you're God, that you're supreme, that you're sovereign, and we're not. And so he said, Thou art God, which made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's within them. They acknowledged that God was the creator of all that was created. They acknowledged who God was. Why would they do that? I mean, why would you start a prayer and acknowledge that God was the creator? You know, I mean, is that, that doesn't have anything to do with what just happened. I mean, you know, they've got this problem, and then they're acknowledging God as the creator. I mean, you know, I'm convinced of this. <laughs> they understood something that I might have forgotten so many times in life. <laughs> you know, when it says that all that is in them or everything in them, they understood that, and they recognized that the Sanhedrin was part of the creation, that the Sanhedrin was simply creatures that God had created. <laughs> And literally what they're doing, they're almost tattling. <laughs> they're tattling to God about, God, you created everything. God, you're in charge of everything. And part of your creation is not behaving the way it ought to behave. Part of your creation is misbehaving. And we just want you to know about that, God. They're, they're not doing what they're saying. So they're just telling him, they're, they're, they're telling God that part of creation is troubling them. They were appealing to the creator about his creation. They understood that the God was sovereign and was in control of all things. And when you read that list, you get to the 26th and the 7th and the verses in there. I mean, that's a, man, what a powerful list. I mean, they start talking about all these people, and the nations are against them, and these are against them, and those are against them. And, and, and then it starts naming people, and, you know, it, it literally starts to name the, the rulers of the day. It says Herod and Pontius Pilate. He says, these are the powerful people. All of these people are doing all of these things, and, and you know, and, and it's what a mighty force. And so what, and then the 28th verse, and says all of those powers, all of those authorities, all of those people, all of those nations, and this is what they did. <laughs> it says, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand would happen. It says, Pilate might have thought he was tough, and Pilate might have thought he had it, but Pilate did exactly what you had said he could do. And, and you know, and, and all these people in the Sanhedrin, they thought that they had it all figured out, but they're doing what you told them they had to do. Because, see, I believe what happens on this occasion is these people look back to the cross. They look back to the cross, and the, the cross was one of those days that, that had to be a day where, where their hopes and dreams disintegrated over the death of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, everything that they, they, had, they had hoped for seemed to go with them. But they look back at the cross, and they realize that sovereign God, even on the day when Jesus Christ was crucified, you were sovereign. Even on the day that your son died, you had a plan and you were in control. And even though all these people crucified your son and did all kind of evil things and all this stuff, you were still in charge. And if you were in charge on that day, 
If you were in charge on the day that your son died, you were still sovereign on that day and in that horrible situation, and you had a plan and a plan for good, then clearly this little problem we're dealing with today, you're sovereign, and you can handle it. And so we're going to trust you. All we've got to do is come to you and say, Sovereign God, you're sovereign. This is what's going on. You, you, you can deal with it. And they believe that. Folks, I believe we need to be reminded of that today. We need to be reminded of that day on a personal level. Because, see, sometimes we need to be reminded of that when your wife isn't um, cooperating the way you think. <laughs> She's part of God's creation. And wives, when your husband isn't um, quite up to the standard, you need to be reminded he's part of God's creation. And when your boss is acting like a jerk, you need to be reminded that he's part of God's creation. And whatever the situation is, if you'll just remember, you know, the Creator created all of that. So if you'll just go back to the Creator and say, hey, look, I've got a problem with your creation, he can fix it. You don't have to. And that's exactly what the people do. They go back to him and say, look, you know, it doesn't matter what the situation is. As we've talked about in recent weeks, folks, it doesn't matter whether Donald Trump's the president or, or, or Mr. Obama was the president before him or whoever's in Congress. It doesn't matter. They're part of God's creation. If we go back and say, God, we don't believe part of creation is, is behaving the way that you... And you know what? <laughs> the Scripture says that they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God is sovereign, folks. And we need to understand that and recognize that. The other thing we need to understand and recognize that they did is that we're his servants. That we're his servants. I mean, because in the 29th verse, they refer to themselves as servants. And so this is a prayer of submission. They didn't complain about their circumstances. They didn't call down fire on the Sanhedrin. They didn't ask God to put them in a more favorable position with the Sanhedrin. They, they recognized that we're your servants. We're here to do your will. And the thing they asked for, the thing they asked for of all the things they could have asked for was to give them more boldness to continue doing what he got them in trouble. He said, Lord, just give us the strength. Give us the power to be bolder in sharing your word. Give us the boldness to live out our Christian faith even in a bigger way. Give us the boldness to be better witnesses for you. Just give us the strength. Give us the courage. To... The point of the whole prayer, folks, is, you know, they wanted boldness in continuing to speak about um, Jesus Christ so that Jesus Christ could be um, glorified because that's what God had called them to do. So when you look at this prayer from, from an overview, you know, it is this prayer that brought a fresh supply of, of the power of God into their lives when they acknowledged that God was sovereign and, and it submitted to, to Him as His redemptive people so that they could carry out His redemptive purpose. And any Christian who recognizes and submits to the Lordship of Jesus Christ will suddenly find themselves filled with the Spirit and would have, have power in their lives that they don't know where it came from. That's what it tells us about their life. It says when the Spirit of God intersects with a Christian who has a desire to be filled, it says the purpose of God is going to be accomplished. And it says when the church, when the church prays with the purpose, the purpose of God is achieved. It says it happens in the life. There's a chain reaction that occurs. It says, when the church is filled with the Spirit, the purpose of God is fulfilled because 
the power of God appears. It says you can't divorce the spirit from the purpose of God because the power of God is given when the purpose of God is to be accomplished. And so he says when we're trying to accomplish the purpose of God, we will always have the power of God. And that happens in our lives, folks. And it says that happened because these, this group of people, this church, had three things that they wanted to accomplish. The first thing they wanted to accomplish is they wanted to express his word. And I thought about that. They wanted to express his word. Witnesses aren't made in training programs. Now, we've done um, Share Jesus Without Fear, and we've done Faith, and we've done the Five Fingers, and oh, over the years, we've, we've done the little Billy Graham Turn to Page Six, and so we've done a lot of ways to teach you how to be witnesses. You know, but let me just tell you, teaching you how to be a witness will not make you a witness. You know, that, that's what this passage is all about, teaching you. Now, look, I, and, and teaching you how to be a witness is a good thing, and I think it's something that we need to do, and it's part of God's plan. But teaching you to be a witness does not make you a witness. Only the compelling power of the Holy Spirit in your life will compel you to go be a witness. You know, and these people wanted to be a witness, and they said, God, just let us be a witness. They wanted to expand His work. And business meetings are necessary. Business meetings are important. You know, but I'm here to tell you, folks, a church must go to its knees to expand the work of God. The work of, of, of God doesn't get expanded because churches vote to do stuff in business meetings. You know, the things happen in business meetings because the people prayed for the work of God to be expanded. And then as a result, the people in one accord voted to do what God called them to do. I, that's the reality of it. And, you know, they prayed that the Lord would extend his hand. And when you read over in the fifth chapter of um, the book of Acts uh, um, and follow up to this as it's reading, it, it says they, it says they went and did. And, and so when, when, when the, the command came and they had to, it, the, the Holy Spirit didn't do it. They did it. They became the hands and feet that literally went and did what Jesus um, asked them to do. You know, and I, I've told the story before, folks, but, but during World War II, one of the, the, the cathedrals in Europe was bombed, and, and some of the soldiers kind of toward the end of the war, they were, were trying to rebuild some of the churches and structures, and in this particular church, they wanted to, um, to, to put the pieces back together, and so they started to put this figure of Christ that was um, in, in the, 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 the garden, the, the circle in front of the church back together, and the soldiers um, of their own accord put it all back together. And when they got it all back together, they realized that the only pieces of the statue that they couldn't piece back together were the hands. They'd been broke up in so many little pieces, they just they couldn't put the hands. So there's literally a statue of Jesus there with his hands out, with his arms outstretched with no hands on it. And so one of the soldiers literally um, put this plaque at the, at the foot of it. He says, he has no hands but our hands. That's the reality of it, folks. In this world, we are his hands. And so it says if we as the church want to extend the hands and we want to make a difference, it'll happen. And I'm proud of Live Oak, folks. I am proud of our, our church in so many ways. This week I made one phone call at three-something in the afternoon, and by a little after four there were six guys on a roof um, putting a tarp on a roof because the rain was coming and the roof was leaking. You know, that's being the hands of Jesus. That's making twice this week I made phone calls and people moved um, um, 
people because they, they physically um, didn't have help to move. And so guys showed up and loaded up moving vans and moved. That's being the hands of Jesus. That's what he says. It says Jesus has no hands but our hands. Are we going to expand his work in our world? Are we going to make a difference? And then it says they wanted to exalt his worth. You know, when it talks about in that passage, there's all the signs and wonders and the healing. The, it, it, all of that, you know, you can say, well, I can't do signs and wonders. Oh, yes, you can, folks. <laughs> you can if you have their attitude. Because when you read that passage, it says everything that happens, everything that happens, the work, the signs, the wonders, the, the, the miracles, everything that happens, it says, what did they want? It says, we want it done in the name of Jesus so that Jesus is exalted. See, when a church decides that the work of the church isn't about the church, but the work of the church is about Him, and then it doesn't matter who gets the credit and who gets the glory, and, and all that we do is not about Live Oak Baptist Church, it's about Jesus Christ, then we exalt His name. Then we say that He is worthy of our praise. Things happen when the church prays. And too many churches are depending on programs and other resources and neglecting the greatest resource that we have. This morning at 8.30, every Sunday at 8.30, we have a group that meets in a room that prays. Every Sunday, 8.30. There was four people in the room this morning. You know, now I'm just going to be honest with you folks. Um, that means most of y'all wasn't here at 8 o'clock because y'all came to the 1030 service and y'all came at 915. But it says how many of you were willing to come 30 minutes early so you could be at 830 and you could spend 20 minutes in a room praying um, before um, today happened so that God could do something big today. You know, I, you know now at 1030, um, some of the 8 o'clock folks um, will be over there, and I don't know how many is over there today, but on a typical Sunday morning at 10.30 while we're in here, there'll be three people or four people over there praying. You know, and so I just, you know, when are we going to get the hint, folks? If we want God to do something big, if we want God to, do, to move in a mighty way, it starts when God's people make prayer a priority. It starts when we collectively make prayer a priority. And we're willing to make a little bit of a sacrifice to make it happen. I told the 8 o'clock crowd this morning, um, you know, I, I understand we have business meeting um, at, at about noon when we have, we only have two a year on Sundays, but when we have it on, on, on a Sunday, it'll be about noon, you know. And so they got out at, um, at, from Sunday school at 10.15 and, you know, they went back home. I said, you know what, you can get back in your cars and drive back up here at noon. Because how many of you, if you have kids or grandkids, if you dropped them off at um, dance recital or karate lessons or something, you drop them off and an hour later you go back and pick them up. But for some reason we can't um, at church um, leave and then come back an hour and a half later because that would be too inconvenient. You know, I, I'm just, it's interesting to me as I studied um, Acts and I started going back and thinking about this morning. Anybody know the, the first service recorded in the book of Acts that the church had? The first service that, that's recorded in, in the book of Acts, <laughs> the first meeting that, that's recorded is recorded in the um, 14th verse of, of the first chapter. And it says this, it says, They all joined together in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. It says the first church, the early church, the first meeting that, that's recorded that the church had wasn't a worship service, wasn't a preaching service, wasn't Sunday school, wasn't any of those. It says it was a prayer meeting. 
You know the second service recorded in, in the book of Acts? It was a business meeting. It was a business meeting. When you get to the um, 24th verse, it says, Then they prayed, so they started business meeting with prayer. But it says, Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. They were voting to elect a new deacon. The second meeting recorded in the book of Acts is business meeting. So I'm just here to tell you, according to God's word, Prayer meetings and business meetings are equally as important as you being here this morning. So if we're going to raise the level in 2017 to, to, to the point that God will do something miraculous through the people of the church here, maybe we just need to put a little bit more attention on how many of us are in attendance when we have prayer meetings and when we have business meetings. Because he says it's important. And your preacher didn't make any of that up. It all came straight from him. Are you in attendance? The implication is clear. You know, it doesn't say some of them went to prayer meeting. It doesn't say some of them went to business meeting. In both of those cases, it says they all and then they. It says they all went to prayer meeting, then they all went to business meeting. Not the staff and not some of the important people and not the key leaders in the church. It says the church participated in both of those events. I wrote this down. It says, prayer for the church is the source of its wisdom, is the source for its success, is the source for its witness, is the secret in its warfare, is the supplier of its worker, is its strength for our walk. Folks, as a church, if we're going to be all that we can be, it starts when we support the church in prayer, in one accord, in one spirit, with unity, so that the work of the church can go forward and the name of Jesus be exalted.